<laughs> Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspa and Bridgeland. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. You know, our Advent Sermon Series is a follow-up to our Christmas production, A Thrill of Hope. Hope is essential to life. We can't survive for long in an environment of despair and hopelessness. A biblical hope is not just a wish or desire, but a certainty that what we are hoping for will come true. This Christmas, more than ever, we need the reminder that our hope is in Jesus, no matter our circumstances. Last weekend, we took a closer look at Simeon's song, and how in Jesus, Simeon saw God's salvation. And this weekend, we are going to unpack yet another song from the Christmas narrative. Now, speaking of songs, have you ever had a song get stuck in your head? You know, you don't even have to like a song. It may be a song that drives you crazy, and yet, at times, you can't get it out of your head. And not long ago, uh, there was a kid's song uh, that was very popular on YouTube, uh, they say it's the most watched video in all of YouTube. Over 7 billion views. And for a while, this song drove me crazy. For wherever I went, I heard the song. Our own kids sang the song. When you go outside, other kids were singing the song. Our parents and grandparents sang the song. And it was nothing but pure torture. The song goes like this. Baby shark, do, 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 do. comes with actions too. Now, now that I reminded you, some of you are going to have a baby shark song in your head all through this sermon. <laughs> you know, some annoying songs get stuck in our head, and there are songs that we love. Songs are powerful. Music helps us to remember things. No wonder the Bible contains lots and lots of songs. The Gospel of Luke presents four songs connected with the birth of Jesus. We looked at uh, Simeon's song last weekend. There's Zechariah's song. There's the song of the angelic hosts. And then there's the song of Mary. Mary's song is the song of a teenager expressing praise to God for choosing her to play such a critical role in the unfolding of God's salvation plan. And this song is full of hope. So the text for today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Would you pray with me? Lord, it is our desire to magnify Jesus. And no matter our circumstances, we pray that our hearts today will be filled with hope, hope that comes from you, for you are the object of our hope. So come and minister to each one of us in a personal way that as we leave this place, we know that we have heard your voice, we have encountered you in a new way. So we commit this time to you, Lord, and we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated. I've always been fascinated by the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? How much knowledge did Mary have of Jesus' identity? As the song says in the final stanza, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Powerful words. Did Mary know all of that? Did she have that level or depth of spiritual insight? That Jesus is the Word of God, the one who spoke this entire universe into creation. That it is before Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge His Lordship. Last weekend when I spoke on Simeon's song, we saw the reaction of the parents to what Simeon had just said. It says in Luke 2.33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Mary and Joseph didn't say to Simeon, that's right, old guy, we know all of this. We do have one incredible child. No. It says they marveled. They were astonished. They could not believe what they just heard. And that is an indication they were unaware of all of the details of what God was doing. And several times in the Gospels, we have statements that make us wonder, did Mary understand all this? I think she had some inkling about Jesus' identity, that he's a messianic figure who would come to deliver the people of Israel from political oppression as per popular expectations. But I don't think at this point she knew that Jesus was God incarnate who is going to launch a spiritual kingdom that encompasses all the nations. Mary didn't have a blueprint of God's plans, a step-by-step manual to guide her and lead her to the future. But Mary trusted God. Trusting God is the first prerequisite to hope. Trust God even when you don't understand. Now think about this. Mary did not break forth into the song of praise 
at the moment when she received news from the angel that she was going to be pregnant. Mary lived in the little town of uh, Nazareth. She's a regular girl from a simple family, anywhere between 13 to 16 years in age. She's engaged to Joseph. And during the time, engagement was uh, a far greater commitment than it is today. Uh, to the point, uh, you know, breaking the engagement required a notice of divorce. So it had all the responsibilities of marriage without its privileges. Mary and Joseph are engaged, all set to get married. Joseph is a good man who comes from the same town. He's a godly man. Perhaps both families knew each other really well. Mary had a good, secure future ahead of her. She's living the Jewish dream. We talk about the American dream or the Canadian dream. Mary was living the Jewish dream of being married to a good man with a decent job who will take care of all of the family's needs. They will live in a small town, have lots of kids, build a close-knit family. That was Mary's world. So the future just looked great from Mary's point of view. She was on track with all of her goals and aspirations. And then, angel Gabriel makes this visit with the news that will jeopardize the Jewish dream that Mary held all along. In fact, when Mary saw the angel, this was her response in Luke 1.29. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The word translated wondered literally means to make an audit. It's an accounting term. So Mary is weighing these things in her mind and pondering deeply all of the implications of this angelic visit. She even asks Gabriel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How can I conceive a child? In a conservative culture, a teenage pregnancies were not tolerated. Being already engaged and committed to being married, what kind of explanation would Mary have to offer to Joseph? And if she goes to Joseph and confesses that she's pregnant, he was not going to high-five her and sing fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. In fact, Matthew's gospel says Joseph was so disturbed by this news that he decided to give a certificate of divorce and call off this engagement. Talk about a blow to your plans. Mary's dreams all of a sudden come crashing down. Now she would be accused of immorality, shamed and looked down on by everyone. Her child will be called illegitimate. And she will remain single for the rest of her life in an honor-shame culture where the stigma of sexual sin will never leave you. Forever, for the rest of your life, you will be labeled. See, a lot was at stake here. It would have been far easier for Mary to say to Gabriel, can you find somebody else for this job? Well, Mary says to Gabriel, let it be to me according to your word. You can see she's still in a state of shock. She didn't understand the full implications of all of this. 
And more importantly, there is no sign of excitement or exuberance in her response. This is more of a quiet, gentle submission. Now, Angel Gabriel also told Mary that her relative, who is much older, Elizabeth, is also going to have a baby. Now, after this angelic encounter, I bet Mary did not share this with anybody else. She wanted to verify this first with Elizabeth. So Mary, our text says, hurried to Elizabeth's place with fear and trepidation, wanting to check to see if all this is indeed true. It was a three-day journey by foot from where Mary was to reach Elizabeth's place. So this teenage girl makes this long trek to see and meet Elizabeth to verify all that had just happened. Mary and Elizabeth finally see each other face to face. Elizabeth took one look at Mary, and at that moment, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and her initial words would have removed all of Mary's fear and trepidation. For Elizabeth said, blessed are you among all women, and blessed is the child that you're going to bear. Now, how on earth did Elizabeth know that? Mary's not showing. She's still early in her pregnancy. And she's kept this conversation to herself, so no one on earth knew about her pregnancy status. But God sent the confirmation that was needed. And immediately, Mary gushes into this song of worship, this outburst of praise that we just read in Luke chapter 1. Mary's song has at least 12 different references to the Old Testament, and it's very similar to the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel. That this teenage girl, Mary, was so familiar with the Old Testament should not surprise us because it was true of most godly people of that time. So that's a backdrop to Mary's song. Look at the opening words, verses 46 to 48. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary still didn't understand a whole lot of things, but she had sufficient knowledge that God was involved in all of these happenings, and he is praiseworthy. Now, the song is called Mary's Magnificat because it's the Latin word for magnify. Mary magnifies and exalts the Lord. Mary didn't understand everything, but hope filled her heart as she saw the character of God who was personally come to involve in her life. And when Mary submitted to God's plans, it looked like her future was going to be jeopardized. All her plans and dreams are going to come crashing down. For Mary at that time had no guarantee that Joseph was also going to have a dream that would confirm her innocence and God was going to sort out all of those details. She didn't have any of that assurance. And not having all of this information, without a blueprint, without a step-by-step -step plan, Mary believed and trusted God and laid down her Jewish dream, embraced God's plans for her life. 
And God had something far, far greater in store for Mary. For our text says she will be called blessed by generations to come, the most honored woman of all. Trust God even when you don't understand. When things look unclear and you don't know what the future holds, everything looks uncertain. We may not understand everything, but we know enough of God's character to conclude it will all be fine eventually. That's a good reminder for Christmas 2021. No one understands all that is happening around us. We can't wrap our head around the events of our time. They're way too complicated. Even experts can't agree on all that is happening. And all of this is causing differences of opinion, arguments within families, within churches. Chaos abounds everywhere. In a time such as this, even when we don't understand, even when we can't see all that is ahead, our hope is in God. So fix your eyes on Jesus, his character, his faithfulness, his track record. Jesus is worthy of our trust, even when we don't understand what he's doing behind the scenes. And it is that assurance that leads to hope that anchors us and stabilizes us in these tough times. Here is a second prerequisite for hope. Have a kingdom perspective. Have a kingdom perspective. There is an earthly perspective to things, and then there is a kingdom perspective. An earthly perspective sees everything from our human vantage point, whereas kingdom perspective is seeing everything from God's vantage point. Now, even before Jesus talks about the inauguration of the new kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, we see here Mary is singing of the hope of this new kingdom that has just dawned. It is an upside-down kingdom with lots of surprises. Now look at verses 51 to 53. Mary says he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You can call this the divine reversal. That is the very nature of the kingdom of Jesus. But those who are on the top of the social pyramid are toppled. So the proud, the rich, the ones who rule and dominate are brought low. And those who are in the bottom rung of the ladder, they ride their way to the top. We call it an upside-down kingdom, but it is the right-side-up kingdom, for this is the way it should be. It's we who have inverted everything. And the kingdom of God is unlike what the world has ever seen. The upside-down kingdom challenges our social order. Earthly ranks do not automatically lead to heavenly status. As Jesus said, 
blessed are the poor in spirit. And he didn't just say blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It does not have anything to do with our economic status, but a heart attitude that expresses a desperate dependence on God. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, the lowly, the ones who are mourning, those who are persecuted, the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything that God does in his kingdom is counterintuitive. God uses the most unlikely, unqualified people for his special assignments. God uses the ones the world has discarded as useless, and he discards the ones the world has given a place of eminence. And God wanted to create a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. Who does God look to? An elderly couple beyond the age of childbearing, Abraham and Sarah. Pharaoh is the most powerful human being on earth at the time, considered to be a god among the Egyptians. Who is God going to use to humble Pharaoh and deliver an entire nation from Pharaoh's iron hand? An 80-year-old man named Moses who can't even speak eloquently. God was going to unfold the salvation plan of the ages, his salvation that will include not just the Jews, but all the nations of the world. Who is God going to handpick for such a special task? A simple peasant girl, a teenager from a tiny unknown place called Nazareth. And reflect on this for a moment. For I find this to be the most hopeful thing in a time like this when we are all feeling weary and weak. For when we feel overwhelmed, tired, broken, and we realize we don't have the resources and the wherewithal to face the challenges and the uncertainties of our time, we are closer to God than we think we are. God will frustrate a world that thinks way too highly of themselves, think that we got it all, know it all, figured it all. But it's when we are weary and broken, he says, come to me, for my burden is light. It is in our weary state we acknowledge our dependence on God. And that is where most of our world is at the end of this year, softened by the events of the year. As a result, we are far more open to God than we have ever been. The new kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated is a beacon of hope. For in God's kingdom, we gain by losing. We receive by giving. We are exalted when we are humble. We are strong when we are weak. We lead by serving. Now, every year, Time Magazine has a person of the year. That one person whose influence, for better or for worse, has done the most to impact the events of the year. I read on the news, Elon Musk is the Time Magazine person of the year for 2021, 
who also happens to be the richest person in the world today. I just reflected on the big names that were part of this elite list for the last few years. I realized all of this is from an earthly standpoint. But from a heavenly standpoint, the true influencers are not those who make the news. They are the unsung heroes in God's kingdom, those women and men who exert a kingdom influence upon this world. They are the ones God notices. For God's kingdom uses a completely different set of metrics to measure success. The ones who think they are powerful and strong and self-sufficient, the movers and shakers of our society are brought down. And the ones who are weak and dependent play the more significant roles. So when we look at everything from a kingdom perspective, when we use this as the lens to view the events of our time, then we can be hopeful. For a kingdom perspective will tell you God is at work. He is building his kingdom. The earthly kingdoms of our world may be shaky and they may disintegrate, but the spiritual kingdom that Jesus is building will continue to advance and make inroads until Jesus returns. And that is a cause for great rejoicing and celebration for us as God's people. Lastly, here's the third prerequisite to hope. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Look at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God is not just proving his faithfulness to Mary. He's demonstrating his faithfulness on behalf of the entire community of God's people. The events of Christmas is nothing but the coming to pass of God's promises in the Old Testament. Time and again, God reveals that he is a promise-keeping God. He had promised to Abraham that through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that promise was not going to fail. Jesus is the prophetic fulfillment of the Old Testament promise of the ages. And through Jesus' coming, God was going to bless all the peoples of the world, instill hope in every heart, no matter our culture or race. What I love about Mary's song is this. Jesus is not born yet. The circumstances did not look all too promising for Mary and for the entire nation of Israel. They were reeling under Roman oppression. The future looks so bleak, but Mary is speaking of God's salvation in the past tense. And look at the tense in the song. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down rulers, exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has helped Israel. All pastors. The Bible at times portrays future events as past realities that have 
already taken place. For in the spiritual realm, all of these things have already been accomplished, even though we don't see full evidence of it in the now. For instance, the Bible says, we as believers are already seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's spoken of as an already accomplished reality. Here is another example. Jesus has overcome the powers of darkness. When he died on the cross, they were comprehensively defeated. They may be still active in the present world, but from a spiritual standpoint, they are already stripped of their power. Now, in the same way, at the very conception of Jesus, God's salvation, his deliverance, his kingdom reign has already come. It's spoken of as something that's been fulfilled, and it's only a matter of time before everybody else will discover this truth. And that is how we are called to live today. Not by sight, not by the events that are surrounding us, but through the spiritual eyes of faith, we see all of God's promises have already been realized in Christ Jesus. The natural order of things that we see is not how things will remain. By faith, we know the outcome, how it will all pan out, and it's only a matter of time before everybody else comes to that same conclusion. So hope is in knowing God is faithful to his promises. And during Christmas time, we make an awful lot of promises. And we get overwhelmed as a result of that, and we struggle a lot. We make promises to people. We make promises to ourselves. And the end result is an endless list of chores and to-do lists, gifts to buy, house to decorate, people to visit, family gatherings, making phone calls, and writing Christmas cards. But with only so much time in our hands, we tend to struggle. And that's why there's a frenzy of activity surrounding this Christmas season. As a family, we've been busy delivering cookies and Christmas cards to people we know who are lonely or isolated just to bring some Christmas cheer. So it has been a busy last few days. A couple of days ago, our oldest son sneaked into my study and he said to me, I'm getting a little nervous here. There's only 10 days to Christmas, you know, and we have no presents under the tree. So he was getting really worried. And I told him, ah, thanks for the reminder, son. I'll do my best to keep my promises. And besides, son, we have Amazon Prime, so it's all good. <laughs> you know, I want us to know today, we may not be perfect in keeping all of our promises, but God is always faithful to his word. He always keeps his promises because God doesn't lack any resources. He doesn't have to work with limitations like us humans. With unlimited resources in his hands, God can stay true to his word and do all that he said he will do. And what that means is he's not going to let you down. When you 
place your life in the hands of Jesus. That is one security that anchors you. You are safe and secure in his hands. He is not going to fail you. Based on the integrity of his character, you can be confident God will see you through. If the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, then what do we have to fear as God's people? We have nothing to fear. All of our anxieties have been calmed. The unsettled nature of life doesn't have to steal our joy and our peace. Instead, like Mary, we can break forth into a song of praise to magnify and exalt Jesus, our Savior, because of the hope that we have in Him. Amen. Thank you.